You're on call with Dr. Dave. On this episode, we're talking to one of my good friends, Ty. And Ty is another one of those people that is outside of medicine, and he works in the financial industry. So completely different kind of vibe. And the stuff we talked about was a little different than our standard as well. Initially, he had talked about maybe wanting to hear a certain story. And so the beginning of the podcast was us talking about that story, but we'd already shared it on the podcast. So after that story, that's right when we jump in on the audio portion. So you're going to end up kind of like it's kind of an abrupt start because we were already mid-conversation and we just had to cut that part out since it's something we'd already covered. Say you guys have been friends for a long time. And so once we saw him, we just started chit-chatting. And so we uh, got all excited in our conversation <laughs> and uh, started talking. So we didn't have a formal formal start, but you'll hear us start talking there pretty yeah. soon. And then at one portion, we're talking about things that could happen in the medical industry or a history of things happening in the medical industry where people had things that they weren't consented for. So exams or procedures that they were not expecting and were not consented for were traditionally or historically happening. And that's something that's going away, thank goodness. And we talk about how we don't think that's correct, but we definitely wanted to take a moment before the podcast starts to say we are completely against anything where things are happening to patients without their full informed consent on what's happening and who's doing it. I think that's very important in medicine. And I do believe most of medicine has made really good strides in the last, you know, like five, 10 years, especially about being very upfront about who's even in the room, what people's roles are in different procedures. So as that conversation goes on, just, you know, just to make it very clear, we are definitely against anything happening without complete informed consent of the patient. We also had kind of a crazy week because of where we live and the weather knocked our uh, our power out for a little while. So we had a little bit of technical difficulties just due to the weather. Hopefully that won't affect the, ex- the experience too much. Have you ever touched anybody inappropriately when they're under the gas? Have you ever yeah. done that, Dave? I mean, come I on. Have- I know Ashley's so, here, but it's in see, a safe space. So luckily I haven't because it was so weird when they asked you to do it. But that is a completely pervasive thing in medicine that they're starting yeah. to crack down on now. Really? Would, no, yeah. like you would go in, especially on your ob gyne rotations. They want you to get comfortable with the pelvic exam, doing the exam really <laughs> well. And so people would be asleep on ob gyne rotations and they'd go to sleep and say, Hey, why don't you do the OB-GYN exam? Why don't you do the pelvic exam? And to me, that always seems super creepy. Because there's no consent yeah. from the patient. Yeah, the yeah. patient is yeah. not, hey, but there's this weird, you know, oh, you can get an exam under anesthesia. So sometimes they mention that, but nobody thinks they're getting a pelvic exam under anesthesia. So I always said no, and it only came up like one or two times, but it does it does come up and that hit the news about yeah. one or two years ago. Yeah, I was going to say that hit the fan a couple of years ago and there was an outrage over it, as yeah. there should oh, be geez. actually. Because yeah. most people are, I mean, I've had a student examine me before, but I was fully awake and fully aware. Most people yeah. would yeah. say, like, yeah, okay, well, I'm done with that or no. They see yeah. opportunities there. And I think too, like there's kind of this level of understanding that you, you, we as the general population think, oh, these are professionals. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like there, there's kind of that high standard we think of and, and you don't realize it. Like sometimes it's like, 
yeah, th there's boneheads that make mistakes and do things the wrong way too, you know, and yeah, and you just don't, you don't, you don't think about that going into those experiences for sure. Or they just never think about it because that's the way medicine's been done. That's the way their mentors trained them. You can do so many pelvic exams, but it's just more comfortable for people that, you know, it's just a way to get good at the exam without discomfort and feel what you need to. So right. I think it's just something. It, it was an oversight. I well, think that went on too long. Well, when you look at movies from the yeah. 60s, 70s, 80s, there's some really horrendous, sexist, misogynist things that come up in that. And I don't know Absolutely. who's yeah. medicine, but I just I feel like a lot of people just did what they saw other people get trained on and what they do and how they get trained. But along yeah. the along the same lines, though, we get trained by people that volunteer to teach us pelvic exams and rectal exams. So when we're in medical school, we have standardized patients and they come in. Have you seen Seinfeld where Kramer gets gonorrhea? And they go to the yeah. school. Yeah. He's an actor. So the, and they decide. Yeah, yeah, yeah the actor. Him, yeah. A disease, like they open him up. I got gonorrhea. Yeah. So, I got gonorrhea from riding a tractor. Yeah, yeah I remember yes. that one. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but we have patients. That's what my boyfriend says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's a real thing in medical school. And they have patients that come cool. in and they fake an illness. And you listen to their heart and lungs. And you try to figure out what's going on based on their symptoms. And you learn to interact with people. And they record it to make sure you can watch yourself, see what you say, see what you ask. But there's a, two special days where a standardized patient comes in to teach you the pelvic exam and another day where they teach you the rectal exam. So these are people that get paid more for this oh, as well awesome. they should. But you also, you also wonder what type of person even thinks that's a good career option. But <laughs> I was gonna say, dude, Sign me up. I'm good. <laughs> Do, but they're they're performing a lot of this on themselves, so, right? Yeah. Well, they come in. What? With the oh. female pelvic exam, the standardized patient comes in. She strips at the waist. She uncovers with the towel. She teaches how to do the exam. And then at one point she says, you know, a lot of women are curious about what's what things look like down there and what's going on. So offer your patient a mirror so she can watch the exam. By the way, horrible advice. I tried that with a few real patients and they thought it was the weirdest, creepiest dude. I told Ashley and I said, I'm offering this. This is what they told us to do. And, and I said, said shut yeah. it down. Shut it down. Yeah, shut that down. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to watch, but not only does this person explain and show all the anatomy on her own vagina and how to do the pelvic exam and how to put the speculum, but then there's about 30 to 40 med students that day that then come and do a pelvic exam. On her. On her. She gets 30, oh. 40 pelvic yeah. exams. The speculum, oh. the speculum in, oh. speculum in. But this, this lady is, you know, a little strange, but she was super professional. She was super nice. It was a great learning experience. The male patient that came in to teach the prostate exam was the opposite. <laughs> Completely inappropriate from start to finish. Oh, his, yeah. his dad was a doctor, and I almost feel like this was some way he was getting back at his dad. Ooh. Don't think about it too long. So he made inappropriate yeah. comments to everybody in the room and it was super uncomfortable. So all these people doing the rectal exam. So fingers in, we're filling the prostate <laughs> and he's looking over his shoulder, these people doing the exam on him. And some of the girls, he said, oh, are you going to try this out on your boyfriend tonight? And oh then. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And yeah. We don't know what to do because we're put in weird, awkward situations all the time in medicine, especially yeah. in medical school. They put you through the grinder. So you just think, is this is okay? This is, is what it is. I'm doing yeah. the rectal exam. My finger is, you know, two knuckles deep trying to find the <laughs> prostate. And he turns his back at me and says, you're really good at this. 
and I just turned deep red. I don't know what to do. I ripped my finger out. I just turned away. And at the end, all of us were uncomfortable. And we start to write down the evaluation. Yeah. We evaluate these people. And he's looking and leaning over. So none of us feel comfortable writing how creepy it was. So I don't yeah. even know if any of us ever reported. complained or reported. Yeah. It's, just one of those, yeah. it's just another weird day in medical school. Yeah. Gosh. But yeah, he's looking, you know, he's on all fours. I'm in there. He's looking over his shoulder at me. And then he <laughs> hypersexualizes the situation. And yeah. it's just, it's so uncomfortable. At the end of the day, when you have to do your first rectal exam on a real patient, you're grateful uh -huh. you had the experience, no matter how awkward it was. You're grateful that you had that moment. And I just, you know, all the patients with, especially the men, if you tell them to relax before a rectal exam, the last mm -hmm. thing they do is relax. So yeah. I yeah. <laughs> so I tried yeah. to kind of like make it a little less, you know, like little little less intense. But I, I always would apologize. I'm like, hey man, sorry, I got big fingers. <laughs> so okay, so then my question to you, I have big fingers. So then my question to you is, uh, uh, whenever I go in for a rectal exam, what should I tell my doctor? <laughs> how, how should I? How should I? How, what is the what is the golden ticket here, buddy? Come on, like we go way back, Dave. I want to know what is the golden ticket for the perfect rectal exam. Well, it depends. It depends on how good your doctor is. What, because you can what make, if it's just a guy down the street? Because you've heard who's not a doctor. Heard, we've heard a bunch of people say, you know, buy me dinner first, or it's awkward for both yeah. people sometimes too. Yeah. And the more more uncomfortable a patient is, the more uncomfortable it is for everybody. But uh, <laughs> I think just be gentle would be a good thing to say. <laughs> be gentle. <laughs> be gentle. Using the whole fist, Doc? <laughs> Moon River. Oh, I don't think many of your listeners well, would get that I, reference. I was, yeah, I was the wrong end of the finger one time. So I went in as a patient. Oh, doctor, yeah. and He's doing the exam. It's the first time I've had the exam done on myself. And he says, he didn't ask me. I forget how he said that, but he's, he asked me some question where I think he just said, how does that feel? And I'm like, not good. And he says, well, is there any pain? Like, I don't think, can we talk later? Can you just be done? And then we can <laughs> yeah. talk. <laughs> he asked me questions. I don't want to. I thought he would just get in there and get done, but he's just yeah. in there and then asking me questions about how it felt, if there's any pain. I'm just like, can you just be done and then I'll talk? Yeah, let's let's like hold the phone, dude. Like, I don't want to have this big old discourse yeah, with you inside of my body right now. A question like that, like, does this feel awkward? It's like, yes, yes, it does. Yeah. It does yeah. feel awkward. Yeah. I don't know if it does. It feel good? No. Is there any pain? No. I don't know. What? I mean, <laughs> that's a relative term. I don't know. Oh, oh, man. I don't. They don't. They don't pay you guys enough. They really don't. <laughs> But seriously, I mean, but the last time I did one, so I don't do anything lower than the neck now, my specialty. So the last yeah, time I yeah. on intern year, the last time I was going to do a rectal exam, I knew it was going to be my last one. I was out the next week. I didn't have any more opportunities to do them. And so the last time I did a rectal <laughs> exam, I yeah. washed my hands twice, you know, just kind of symbolically, these hands are never going apart <laughs> ever again. <laughs> How did you get it? You coerce me into this conversation about rectal <laughs> This is what I want to know. 
<laughs> you never know oh, where the conversation that's true. That, is, that well, is that is true not not to not to keep this part of the conversation going too much longer <laughs> but when when i was on my colorectal surgery rotation so you rotate through different surgery rotations you do general surgery i did neurosurgery but i was also with yeah. the, on my general surgery my main guy was a colorectal surgery mm-hmm. and he did some disgusting things, some of the worst smells in my whole career, some of the worst experiences in my whole career were on this rotation, just pretty gross things. And one time he's doing this, he's taking off a bunch of, I forget what he was doing, but he was fist deep inside an anus. And he's asking what I'm gonna be doing with my life. And I tell him, oh, I'm going into ophthalmology. His hands are wrist deep in an anus and he looks at me and says, ugh, the eye's gross. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh man. It's all it's all about perspective. So I'm glad there are people yeah. that don't find the rectum gross. And it's nice that some people find the eye gross because yeah. then there's less competition for what I want to do. But when he was looking at me, it wasn't even yeah. just a conversation in an exam, you know, just between two people. He was in the middle of a surgery on an anus when he told me the eye was gross. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah. Sir, it, I guess it's all it's all relative, right? Different strokes yeah, for different it's folks. All relative. Yeah. But yeah, we don't have to keep talking about uh, <laughs> you know, that part. That part. No, of the it's anatomy. okay. I mean, I could talk about the anus. I <laughs> oh, I could talk about the anus all day, dude. It's cool. It really, it really is cool. Nice, very nice. Yeah. What is what is your biggest, without a doubt? What is the thing that drives you the craziest with patients? Like. So from the patient standpoint, when I come to see you, what is the number one thing that you would say, please don't do this? The thing that annoys me the most is not that some patients come in that are really knowledgeable. Some of them are doctors, nurses. They come in knowing a lot. That's fine. Some patients come in, come in and they watch some things on YouTube. That's great. I like people to know what's going on with their own health. But when they then will argue with me about what I think is going on, or they'll say, well, so-and-so said this. And in my line of work, I'm a mm. specialist. So even some of the generic things, people refer people yeah. to me. I'm kind of end of the line for my type of work. And so you get to me because I'm the most knowledgeable <laughs> at this portion of my job. And it sounds like that should come up pretty rarely, but yeah. it does come up quite often that people will argue with me. I had a patient one time very clear cut diagnosis, knew exactly what was going on. This was not a diagnostic mystery for me at all. And then I told him what it was. And then the initial consult was okay. But then we yeah. came back to talk about it a little bit more. And he says, yeah, I don't think I have this disease. And I say, no, this is pretty straightforward. This is this one's pretty obvious. And he says, well, I looked into it. I talked to some people. Nobody's ever even heard of this disease. And I said, well, that's right. great. You have people you talk to. Are they even in the medical field? No. What are they? What do they even know? So it was just frustrating because because none of his it, lay friends had known anything about the disease. He decided that he couldn't have it. And then sometimes people come into right. just knowing what they feel like is they know enough about what's going on and they want to then argue. So the internet, like most things, has been a double edged sword for us in medicine. Sometimes it's made life easier. Patients can be knowledgeable. And I always tell people to advocate for themselves. But it's a fine line between advocating for yourself and, you know, like not really respecting the years of study and knowledge. And it's not that I need the respect. So it's not even an ego thing. It's just 
I'm trying to help this person the best that I can. And then when I come well, up against a brick wall, yeah. it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Well, okay. So that, that's because that's kind of like you brought up a great point. Cause that's something that like I always think about is, is, you know, like you've got to, you've got to kind of, what did you, I can't remember exactly what you said, like advocate for your own care. You got to push a little bit like that. That's, and I'm, so I like that you answered that, like or what you told me, because I kind of feel like, you know, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I always just kind of go in and I'm just like, okay, like whatever you tell me. But sometimes I feel like I'll leave a doctor's appointment, not really having got all the answers I want. Do you know what I mean? And sometimes I feel like, you know, I wish, I wish I would have been able to push more. So that's good to hear from your standpoint. Like you definitely don't want to have people, you know, pushing too hard and thinking they know everything, but I don't know, like, like what are some ways you think that like a patient like myself can go in and feel maybe a little more confident to, to, you know, advocate for myself a bit more and ask more questions. Like, yeah, how how can there be a better balance? I guess is what I'm asking. So so I think that's a great question. I think a lot of it comes down to taking some time with the information listening to what the doctor said, asking where you can learn more so that you can look it up on some mm-hmm. of the reputable sites. So I'll try to give people websites that they can look at that are from the official academy that I'm a member of or from a good source where they can learn a little bit more. But the other thing too is not all doctors right. are going to be the best at explaining things the way you want to hear them. So getting a second opinion is also right. something I tell people, don't be afraid of a second opinion. If your doctor is a good doctor and is competent and confident, there's no reason that they would ever be disturbed if a patient wanted a second opinion. If your doctor's really against a second opinion, then it's something about their ego or their uncertainty. And there's a difference, I think, between disrespecting yeah. one opinion and getting another opinion. So you can go yeah. to the doctor and listen to what they yeah. have to say and respect their opinion and talk to another doctor for a second opinion, respect that opinion, and then see which one aligns kind of the best. But there's no reason to discount someone's expertise or their experience, but you may just resonate better with one and the other. Or you like one and you say, well, this guy said this, what do you think about it? And bounce them off of each other. There's no like reason to disregard anybody's approach. I think respect is probably. Yeah. Yeah. I very, very much trust Western medicine, believe in it completely. I'm not, I'm not one of the weird, like, Hey, you should take a, you know, medicinal herb and you're going to cure your cancer or fix your broken bone. Like, I don't believe in that, but I've always been something. I just don't really ever go to the doctors because I just, doctors scare me. I don't like them. I mean, I like you, you're one of my good (laughs) buddies, but doctors scare me. So, so, and that's why I'm asking this question is I kind of feel like I'm trying to figure out how, how can we as patients, a do it the right way. And, and also feel comfortable enough. Like, does it, like, is it, is it kind of obnoxious when people just keep, keep not, and not in the matter of trying to like prove you wrong, but just keep asking you a lot of questions and things like that. Cause that's why I'm saying like, I'm trying to become a better patient that way. Cause I want to make sure I ask the right questions, say the right things, or does that kind of just get obnoxious for you, the doctor? No. So I, I like when people do have questions in mind. I do have patients that show up. It's a little intense when they show up with three pages of, of, of notes the advocating for yourself, not coming off, not be combative. I think yeah. it really is just trying to trying to find out what's going on and having questions prepared is great. Having something that you want to know from your doctor is awesome. I would say as a okay. patient, like go in with notes, take notes, 
When we had a son in the hospital and I was supposed to, we were coming home and I had to change his, um, what was that, the IV? Well, the pick line. Like the pick yeah. line. Like I had to change the medicine, the pick line. I videoed it when she showed me how to do it. So I had it uh -huh. on film. Oh, cool. You know, just kind of, because a lot of times you're I'm like, oh, I have all these questions. I'm going to ask the doctor. And then you get in there and then you freeze. So I always yeah. bring, See, I always bring notes. Bingo. And that, that's what I want to, because, because again, I, and that's the reason why I'm, I'm asking this is because from my standpoint, it's like, I'm kind of terrified and I sound like a little kid, but I'm kind of terrified to go to the doctor. And so I do that. And then I find, I leave and I'm like, yeah, I got, I got some good advice and good information, but I don't feel like I know everything that might help me. So that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, 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 I like that idea of maybe like, rather than just, you know going into an exam and just expecting the doctor to do everything and have perfect questions and things kind of prepping yourself yeah. and, and preemptive. I think the thing that would help the most honestly is if patients were upfront about what they're coming in for. And it sounds silly oh, and it's, gotcha. it sounds trivial, but we book our appointments based on what we expect to have happen. And if mm -hmm. somebody comes in and they're just like, Oh, I'm here for my yearly exam. And then they want to talk about how their dad had prostate cancer and then they want to talk about yeah. 20, 30 minutes of what their risk is, what they should do, what, uh, what yeah. the current science is. Then all of a sudden you don't, the doctor doesn't have time. And then I think both yeah. people feel short changed because yeah. we have one really plan and we had something else and there's somebody else in our next room and we feel bad when we're short changing you. But sometimes people come in with four or five different complaints and we try to get through as many yeah. as possible, but sometimes we'll have to say, hey, I, don't, I can't get to the rest of them. We need to make a follow-up. And patients, sometimes I've been accused sometimes of saying, oh, you just want another appointment or you just want to bill me twice. And it's, yeah. you know, it's all about just time. I want to give you the time to go into the things that you have. So if you have concerns, say that's your concern. Tell the doctor what you're there for. Yeah. And if you're there for a well check, plus you want to right. talk about these things. If they book it appropriately, then that's great. And then you have time to talk and then the doctor's not rushed. Cause I, I do think that most miscommunications happen or both of us end up being frustrated when we don't have time to really talk about what you need us to talk about. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I know, I know you're getting short on time and stuff. I want in the last five minutes, I want to know your best prison story. Not, not you personally having gone to prison, but <laughs> medically, because my favorite indicator. show of all time, my favorite show of all time is, is House. I, mm -hmm. I love when he works in the in the prison. So I, I want to know what is your have you had any prison experience with uh, any prison? So, What's your best one? You know, a lot of my prison stories are so short that they're kind of trauma and they're eye related. So let me go back to internal medicine intern year. We had a prison inside of the hospital. So a lot of times with prisoners, there's not a good space for them. But the hospital that I trained at had a little prison in the basement that nobody know, knew about. So you get patients and prisoners in and out nice. without safety concerns. They're in these locked rooms. It's very secure. You go in with guards. So it's a small prison inside the hospital that most people would never even know about. We had this patient there nice. that, didn't, that didn't like to spend any time in prison, as you can imagine. He did anything and everything to get out of prison. Yeah. And the hospital prison was nicer than the prison he was at. So he would eat anything and everything to get admitted to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. So he ate light bulbs. He would eat screws and springs. He would take buttons off of his gown and eat those. 
anything to just leave. And I get it. The life inside a prison is not fun. And it's the same thing every day. And there's no variety at all. So I, I completely get where he's coming from. Anything to get out. It's a bus ride yeah. to the hospital. Yeah. It's a different room. It's a little nicer. It's by itself. So he came in multiple times during my interview yeah. year. I, I dealt with this guy multiple times. And one time he was admitted, I forget what he ate that time. I think he got some screws out of a bunk bed and swallowed those. And then in the hospital, he ate some of his gown with the buttons. And so we're watching this, but it's difficult to get the x-ray in. And so we're waiting for him to just pass what's ever there. We don't need to do surgery. He rarely ate anything that needed surgery, which is fine. It's, it's, he doesn't want a lot of surgery. Yeah, that's guess, that's not what he's dude. after. Yeah. Yeah. So we're waiting for him yeah. to pass all oh, of this stuff to make sure it comes out clean so we can send him back. And a few days go by and he says, uh, you know, I haven't had a bowel movement. I haven't pooped once since I've been here. Nothing's passing. After a couple of days, we start yeah. getting suspicious that he's starting to lie to us. And so what we do is we turned off uh -huh. the water to his unit, but just the toilet. So we actually have a lot of control over what happens in that system. He didn't know that we did that. So he was secretly uh -huh. taking bowel movements and then flushing. And so we turned off the toilet and then he had uh -huh. a bowel movement and he couldn't flush it. And so then we knew that he was passing stool just fine and it was time for him to go back <laughs> to the prison. And he was so angry. I mean, just no. livid that his poop was just sitting in the bowl when we came. And he tried to squish it a little bit and tried to make it so he that he couldn't tell. But it was just this brown uh, mess in his toilet. <laughs> so, geez. Yeah. So that that's uh, he did, that was he, he, did, he, did, he didn't remember your name or anything, right? Like like he's not coming after you after he gets out of prison so, or anything, so, right? Sort of, sort of like this podcast, just for patient privacy. We just go by first names and we didn't wear our badges down there. So I don't even know if I used my real name. I think I was just Doctor Dave or just somebody. I don't even know if we used yeah. our real names in that situation. In nice. the prison, in the prison I'd used nice. in, in medical school or in residency, they we, we we wear our badges. People knew who they were, we were. Sometimes they'd see us as patients, outpatient. That was a little bit more open. Yeah, but yeah, most people are. I was never scared in prison most of the time because they know you're there to help them. They they know that you're on their side. Yeah, you're not you're not the bad guy. You're not the one that locked them up. Usually, you're just somebody that's kind and treats them with respect. So I was, I was never that nervous in a prison situation. I was, that I was, was always nervous to send him to the prison. I'm like, please don't get too close to anybody today. That, that was the you only know? time. That was the only time I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> that guy that was angry that we turned off his toilet. Nice, dude. That's, that's awesome. Messing with him. You outsmarted the inmate. Very nice work, man. I like it. As Ashley said, before the podcast started, we recorded this during a big ice storm event and we had some connection issues. So as you notice, the podcast ended rather abruptly and that's just due to the weather and the spotty Wi-Fi and electricity. We were actually running a generator for our house because we lost power at the time of the recording. So that's why it ended so abruptly. But it sounds, after editing it, it sounds like the audio was good the whole time. We had some good conversations, so just kind of an abrupt end there when we, we lost some connection. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.